You're listening to Mr. Open Banking, the only podcast dedicated to exploring the open banking movement. Whether you're a financial expert, banking executive, or everyday consumer, open banking affects everyone and will change the way we interact with our money. I'm A.L. Savan, your host. This episode is brought to you by Radium, powering the world's most trusted data sharing ecosystems. For most people, wallets are a staple accessory of their everyday lives. We all know what a wallet is, what it does, and not to leave home without one. What most people don't know is that the idea of a wallet goes back thousands of years. Otzi the Iceman, who lived around 3300 BC, was discovered with a coin purse on his hip. The mythical hero Perseus carried the severed head of Medusa in a kibisus, an ancient Greek word typically translated as wallet. Yet today, the wallet is disappearing, to be replaced, like so many other things, by its digital twin. The most obvious thing that a wallet does is store money, which, of course, lets you pay for things. Likewise, a digital wallet does the same, providing a way to store your money and use that money to make purchases, with one key difference. No physical coins or paper ever changes hands. The exchange is ultimately negotiated digitally by two devices that trust each other. But wallets do so much more than just handle money. As every owner of an overstuffed wallet knows, they store our driver's license, health insurance cards, coupon books, key cards, and whatever other stuff we need nearby and secure. All of these things are disappearing too as we move headlong towards digital wallets. In fact, there is a battle being waged over who will own the infrastructure that powers your digital wallet. Tech giants like Apple and Google compete with specialists like PayPal and Venmo, while governments debate whether this should all be part of the public good. Whatever the outcome, digital wallets are now a reality. And like their physical predecessors, they will become an intrinsic part of our lives. So making sure they are built the right way is critical, which is precisely where our guest comes in. Daniel Goldscheider is the founder of the Open Wallet Foundation, an organization dedicated to enabling a trusted digital future through interoperability for a wide range of use cases that leverage the software construct known as a digital wallet. Before founding Open Wallet Foundation, Daniel was CEO of Yes.com, a digital banking platform, and co-founded Media Guide with the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers, alongside Eris Private Equity. He has served on the boards of the Global Footprint Network and Identity Trust Management, demonstrating his deep history, building systems, that aim to enshrine data rights 
Daniel, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ayal. It's good to be here. To give our listeners some context for our discussion today, let's start from the beginning. What exactly is a digital wallet? I think of digital wallets very much like the digital equivalent of the wallet you carry in your pocket, which is something you use for your ID card, maybe your driver's license, maybe a debit card or a credit card. And digital wallets are going to do all of that and quite a bit more in the future. They will likely hold credentials like your academic degrees, for instance, or information pertaining to your health as well. So they are very important and very critical infrastructure. When you talk about wallets being part of infrastructure, what is the broader view of that infrastructure? It's not just limited to what's happening in my proverbial pocket. It's something larger. Well, I think the way I talk about infrastructure is the question of who does this serve? Infrastructure typically serves everyone. When you think about a road, it is really there for everyone who's going to drive on that road. It is not something that belongs to one corporation or one country necessarily. It's really something that belongs to all of us. And I'm a huge fan of competition. I think competition drives us forward. But I also believe that wallets are infrastructure in the way that they should be useful to everyone. And as infrastructure, not have too much of an agenda of their own. Before we return to the question of agendas, what's wrong with my current wallet where I have my driver's license and my cash? Why do I need a digital equivalent? Let's think about credit card, for instance. Your digital wallet is actually safer than your analog wallet. Because if you have a typical credit card in your physical wallet and you pay with your credit card and I am the merchant and let's say I run a restaurant and you give me your physical credit card, I get to look at your credit card number and the expiration date and I get to see your name. With a digital wallet, that can change because digital wallets typically will transmit what's known as a token. So they're not going to transmit the actual credit card number, but a one-time code. And even if I was malicious and I would try to take that code and use it again, it won't work. It can also preserve your privacy better than physical wallets. If I'm a doorman and I ask you for your ID and you hand me your ID, maybe the only thing I really should be able to look at is the fact that you're older than 18 or 19 or 21, but it's impossible to give me just that information. You have to hand over your ID card. And on that ID card is a lot of information, such as your name, your first name, your last name, your complete date of birth when really the only piece of information I need to know in that use case is that you are old enough to enter that premise. Digital wallets will solve that problem as well. 
because they will allow for something called selective disclosure. So you're going to be able to disclose just the information that is important for this particular use case. So let's talk about that privacy and perhaps return to the question of agendas. Today, there are several major technology companies who offer something that looks a lot like a digital wallet. You're seeing solutions from Google, Apple, Microsoft, and others. Do they have an agenda? What's wrong with using their wallets? In principle, you can use wallets with very different intentions. Wallets are a very critical place and wallets will understand where you are spending your money, where you're proving your identity. And that information is potentially really valuable. Wallets are also at the heart of payment transactions in the future. And if you enjoy a great position in the market, you may be tempted to say that you want to use this position to ask companies in the value chain to share some of the transaction value with you because they want to be part of your infrastructure. They want to have access to your wallet, to the NFC chip, to the secure enclave. On the other hand, you can use wallets the other way around. You can look at wallets, much like the European Union does, as an opportunity to empower users to say that there should be at least one app that primarily does what end users want the app to do without trying to pursue the interest of the maker, the publisher of that particular app. So I believe that wallets can be used for very different purposes. They can either be used to gather data, they can be used to get into the value chain of transactions, or they can be used to restore some power back to the user. So it's almost like you're saying a digital wallet could be used for good or for evil. (laughs) I think any technology can be used for good or for evil. And of course, what good and evil is very much in the eye of the beholder. To those who are concerned about the risks of using a digital wallet, perhaps they feel a sense of security simply by having this physical thing in their pocket. Should they be worried about the quote-unquote agendas of some of these larger players? I think it's always a good idea to try and understand what the motivation is of a company that publishes an application or a company that produces hardware and try to understand what and why they are doing what they are doing. Wallets, of course, have greater potential for good and for bad because they are not just a computer game that you play casually. They are used whenever you are required to prove who you are or when you want to show your age or when you are going to make a payment or prove that you graduated from a university. 
or try to get access to something that is secured. So the fact that wallets are used in these scenarios just makes the question a little more critical. Whether good or bad, there's no question that digital wallets are having a moment. In 2021, the value of all digital wallet transactions came to an astounding $15.9 trillion U.S. dollars, according to a recent report from the Open Wallet Foundation. In your view, why do we see this proliferation now? What is causing this spike in digital wallet use? Well, I think we are in a perfect storm. The fact that we now have such a large installed base of smartphones and smart watches that are equipped with NFC chips and great biometrics, the fact that we have the software to tokenize transactions, the fact that we have cryptocurrencies and that a lot of central banks are working on CBDCs, the fact that FIDO passkeys are probably going to replace passwords in the future, all of those things are pointing in the same direction. That direction is one where a digital wallet as the focal point for all those use cases is going to only increase in importance in the future. You might say that now that the other pieces of that digital infrastructure are coming to fruition, now you need a wallet to clean up this mess. Is that about right? I think there are going to be single-purpose wallets in the future. So some people may want to have a wallet that just carries their driver's license or just carries a digital bank card. But I do think that most consumers are going to be interested in a digital equivalent of a multi-purpose wallet. If I was working in a shop and you were entering Ayao and you are telling me that you're looking for a wallet and I show you a couple of options and there is one you really like and you're about to buy it. And then I say, there is one thing you should know, Ayao, just works for your driver's license, nothing more. I think it's very likely that you would look at me and say, what kind of wallet is that? You know, I don't want a wallet that just works for my driver's license or just works for an ID card. And I think that is something we take for granted in the physical world. And I believe most people are going to look to retain that in the digital world as well. And that is true not just for the kind of credentials that are going to be in your wallet, but also for your expectation where you're going to be able to use those credentials. And we will have to work really hard to retain that enormous flexibility that you have today with your physical wallet and physical documents in that wallet. So to boil it all down, instead of having some passwords and credentials with Google and some other ones with Apple and some other ones with Microsoft and then my passport and my government digital ID and my Metro card and my whatever else, I'll have a single digital wallet that can let me 
manage all of that stuff. Yeah, I believe you're still going to have a lot of credentials, but I would bet that a lot of people will carry many of those credentials in a multi-purpose digital wallet. Unsurprisingly, most discussions around digital wallets focus on money. After all, it's right there in the names. Apple Pay and Google Pay are all about paying for stuff. But the very same technology that makes digital wallets so good at payments also makes them good at handling other secure things. In the digital world, that includes passwords. The harsh reality is that passwords suck. Strong passwords with their mandatory mix of letters, numbers, and symbols cobbled into increasingly long combinations suck even more than regular passwords. Even many of the fixes for passwords suck. Captures where you select which pictures have a bicycle in them or copy fuzzy letters definitely suck. A verification code received via SMS may be slightly less annoying, but is inherently insecure. So that sucks too. Password managers try to alleviate this pain, but ultimately bind us to what has become a poor, clumsy, and outdated technology. None of us like passwords, but we live with them because we have to keep our data secure. But passwords are about to disappear too, replaced by the same technology that is changing how we use our money. Many people already run special apps on their phones called authenticators that are replacing traditional passwords. Although authenticators and digital wallets are not exactly the same thing, to fully understand digital wallets, you have to understand the technology that powers authenticators as well, as the two go hand in hand. That's where Daniel and I go next. Something I have on my phone is the Authenticator app from Microsoft. Are authenticators and wallets the same thing? I would say not every authenticator is going to become a wallet, but every feature-complete wallet is probably going to act eventually as an authenticator. I think your wallet will likely grant you access to everything from your car to your hotel room door, the door of your own apartment or house, maybe your office, and also the applications you use. For our more technical listeners, describe some of the technology behind digital wallets. Well, this is part of the challenge and part of the reason that we created the Open Wallet Foundation. Even when you look at just one use case, let's say digital identity, there are a lot of standards and technologies involved. You have, for instance, a standard called MDL and MDOC, which is an ISO standard as the name MDL suggests for mobile driver's licenses, which has recently expanded to be able to use also for other documents. 
But that is not the only standard. You also have a standard called Aries, for instance, and you have a standard called SDJOTS. And different jurisdictions are looking at different credential formats and different jurisdictions favor different protocols to transport those credentials, such as DITCOM, such as OpenID for verifiable credentials, for instance. So even within one use case, you have a plurality of standards. And when you look across use cases and you look at the tokenization of credit cards and debit cards with INDES and VDES tokens, for instance, or you look at passkeys, which is a FIDO standard, you look at cryptocurrencies, which have yet different standards, there is an enormous amount of complexity involved even to address one use case. And that complexity is squared when you are trying to create a multi-purpose wallet, when you're trying to create a wallet that addresses a lot of these use cases, because you will need to support many different standards. This becomes expensive even for large companies, but it becomes completely prohibitive for small companies. So fundamentally, we believe coming together and creating great open source software stacks allow more developers and companies to create great and secure and interoperable wallets is something that will benefit everyone in this space. You brought up a couple of different concepts there. So let's try and peel the onion standards. The security standards you mentioned, how do they overlap with the security standards being developed for open banking? That's an interesting question. So I would say that some standards are fundamental and important for everything. For instance, are thinking about HTTPS uh, and MTL, those are standards that are important for everyone. And then you have, of course, a lot of standards that are specific to a certain domain, such as standards in the credit card industry, for instance, that allow you to hold credit card information. They will be important for a bank and they will be important in the context of digital wallets. And then you have standards and technologies that are relevant in the wallet space and may not be as relevant in a typical open banking environment. One concept you mentioned was standards. The other was open source. Related but distinct. What are the benefits of bringing open source technology to digital wallets? It's a great question, Eyal, because a lot of people will say, well, if you have open standards, why bother with open source at all? I believe there are four good reasons to do so. The first one is money. If you and I share developer resources, we're going to save money. And if it's not just the two of us, a large and global community of developers coming together, we're going to save 
quite a lot of money. Now, you may have all the money in the world and not care about saving money, but you will also save time. And even if neither money nor time is important to you, you should probably care about the security aspects of open source development. If a large group of developers is looking at code together, it is likely that we can spot a vulnerability earlier. And if we can't, it's being exploited, that one of us is going to find a fix quickly that is going to benefit the entire ecosystem of developers. And last but not least, there is interoperability. If you and I use the same recipe to bake something, we may very well still end up with very different results because you and I may interpret that recipe differently. And open standards are very much like that. So the idea of working together on the fundamental components in our view is going to save you money. It will mean that you will be able to ship more quickly and what you're going to ship is going to be both more secure as well as more interoperable, both of which is really critical in the wallet space. Which brings us to the Open Wallet Foundation. When you founded the Open Wallet Foundation, what was the gap you were looking to fill? Well, we had a very simple role model. And the role model really was the web browser. Browsers are based on open standards. But any browser I know of is also based on open source software. Take the Google Chrome browser, the Microsoft Edge browser, the Samsung Internet browser, or the Opera browser. They're all based on something called Blink, which is part of the Chromium open source project. It's a very simple idea of the Open Wallet Foundation is the premise that what works so well in the browser space should be useful in the space for digital wallets as well. Specifically, the ideas of open standards and open source. Specifically, the idea of saying, let's create great open source software on top of open standards in order to lower the cost, increase the speed, in which we can ship and create software, create wallets that are going to be both more secure and more interoperable. Just like browsers ship more quickly, just like browser manufacturers lower cost by working together, and just like we end up with more interoperable solutions because browsers use the same core components for rendering. You mentioned it's important for everyone to benefit rather than a handful of companies. And you also drew an analogy to open standards used in web browsers. When you talk about this handful, I'm presuming you mean the tech giants. How are they approaching the question of an open source wallet? Are their current offerings open source, like their browsers are. Yes, there are also great examples 
in the wallet space of very large companies contributing to the greater good. One of those companies is Google. And Google open sourced quite a long time ago something called the Android Identity Credential, which is great code that a lot of companies are using because Google is interested in both the health of Google Wallet as well as the health of the broader Android ecosystem. And I think it's very important not to look at big tech as one group of companies that all have the same exact interest, but rather to take a closer look and try to see how different companies behave and what they are doing in the wallet space. Google in particular has been criticized for their approach to open source in the Android space. Some said they had one foot in, one foot out, and that they would keep some of the secret sauce to themselves. Is there a risk they're going to do the same when it comes to digital wallets? I would say that it's great if you have a company that is deciding to open source software. That's, in my opinion, a lot better than a company deciding to keep everything for themselves and simply use proprietary software. Now, you can always be even better, but my hope is that a lot of large companies will come to the conclusion that it's actually in their interest to be as open as possible when it comes to the fundamental technologies of interoperable wallets. That it's really in their own interest to open this software rather to try and rely on proprietary components for something that in the end is only going to succeed if it is interoperable. Well, let's come down to it then. Will the Googles of the world ever join the Open Wallet Foundation? In case of Google, I am happy to say that they have joined the Open Wallet Foundation as a member. And we are really thrilled that they have done so. The Open Wallet Foundation is open to anyone, whether it's a small startup, whether it's a trillion dollar company, or a nonprofit organization, or through our governmental advisory council, any public official that is interested in the wallet space. In our opinion, the Open Wallet Foundation should be a neutral meeting place for everyone who's interested to move the needle together. Let's project into the future. Five years from now, 10 years from now, Open Wallet Foundation achieves its mission and we all have digital wallets based on open source, using open standards. What does that world look like? What are some of the things that I'll be able to do that perhaps are a little difficult to do today? In the world you imagine, you're going to be a little bit safer. Your privacy is going to increase. Your ability to share just the information that you want to share is going to be strengthened. You will have everything you could possibly need always with you. 
as long as you have your smartphone in your pocket or your smartwatch on your wrist. And hopefully you are going to be able to use all those credentials everywhere you go. Is a legal underpinning for data rights a necessary part of that future? The short answer is absolutely. It is going to be crucial that as a society, as a global society, we are going to be able to come together, not quote unquote, just on standards and open source software, but also on regulatory frameworks. We need to figure out under what situations a government or a country is going to trust foreign credential or wallet. And this is going to be a huge challenge. And at the very heart of this challenge is a very human thing. It is our ability to come together and to first agree that this is something we simply have to figure out and then to try and find bridges while recognizing that, at least in case of countries, everyone is dealing with a sovereign. The European Union is going to decide whatever they're going to decide, primarily looking at their own member states. And a country like the United States is going to do whatever they think is in their best interest. My hope is that we're all going to come to the conclusion that it is in the best interest of each and every country to work on frameworks, being able to communicate important information, in my opinion, is going to be absolutely critical. Sometimes the distrust of certain sovereigns is not from country to country, but in fact from the citizenry towards their own sovereign. Do the technologies behind the Open Wallet Foundation afford some protection against governments that perhaps people don't trust? I wish I could answer that question simply by saying yes. The honest answer is, I don't know. In the end, governments are going to decide how they want their wallets to look like. And what we can do is propose how a wallet could function that has the best interest of the holder of that wallet in mind and takes that interest really seriously. Let's end on a more optimistic note. Open banking is often cast as part of a larger movement to reclaim ownership of your data. Do you see the Open Wallet Foundation as being part of that movement? I would very much hope that the members of the Open Wallet Foundation are going to take the foundation in this direction. At the end of the day, 
when I look at those members today, when I think about what I hear in our TAC meetings, what I hear at our board meetings, I am very optimistic that there is an overwhelming consensus of companies, both very small and very large, and governments and nonprofits, that wallets should actually act on behalf of the people using the wallet. And I believe that consensus is an incredible foundation on which to build the digital wallet infrastructure of the future. Daniel, where can our guests find out more about you and your work with the Open Wallet Foundation? The best place to go is openwallet.foundation. And if you're interested to contact me, please find me on LinkedIn. I am always looking for feedback. And we are really interested in finding both new code projects as well as new members. And we would love to hear from you. Congratulations on your fascinating and important work. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Eyal. It's been a real pleasure to be here. What's in your wallet? It's likely some cash, some plastic cards from assorted banks, some form of identification, and various slips of paper entitling you to myriad benefits, like health coverage, or a seat on a plane, or a free cup of coffee. Now imagine each of those things can reach out to the services they are related to and interact with them seamlessly, interconnecting them as it pleases you, and, crucially, moving money around to make sure everyone, including you, is paid. Such is the promise of the digital wallet. More than just a replacement of the physical, digital wallets aim to be our common gateway to the digital world. They will protect our identity, our money, and our commercial relationships. When combined with the common infrastructure necessary to make them work, digital wallets put control of our data firmly back in our hands, in the most secure way possible. The question is whether that control is also in the hands of others. Some of the largest technology companies in the world are today vying for control of the infrastructure that will underpin digital wallets. That's because they know perfectly well that control over identity and payments is the basis for control over, well, everything else. Apple, Microsoft, Meta, Google, Amazon, and other giants all have strategies surrounding how you will control who you are, how you pay for things, and who can see your data. All the more reason, Daniel says, to be aware of the agendas that may come with digital wallets, offered by well-heeled players. Ultimately, he believes that the infrastructure we are putting in place today is so critical to our future that it must be built to empower us, the users, rather than the maker of the wallet. 
Daniel also believes that the best way to achieve that is through open standards and open source. Such an approach ensures that anyone can create a digital wallet, not just a handful of companies and not just the government. Anyone. And they can do it in a way that is cheap, fast, completely secure, and automatically interoperable with every other digital wallet out there. While it's difficult to predict exactly where the chips are going to land, the slow disappearance of that leather pouch in your pocket is all but a certainty. Digital wallets are here to stay. Thanks for listening to Mr. Open Banking, the podcast that explores the ongoing evolution of open banking and its impact on our lives. Make no mistake, the rise of open banking is going to change financial services forever, and we will be covering that story every step of the way. This is your host, A.L. Savan. Until next time. This episode of Mr. Open Banking was made possible by Radium powering the world's most trusted data-sharing ecosystems. To learn more, visit radium.com.